I'm just going to buzz through some of these, and uh, some of them will be pretty short. Can you elaborate? Shuffle the deck. Um, Can you elaborate on, quote, your work reflects your character? And what I meant by that is, in the book of Proverbs, a sluggard is a man with bad character. A sluggard is a person, when you hire him, he destroys your business. A sluggard is a person who, I mean, in the Bible, work, working hard, like in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3 and 4, is you work unto God. You, you do your best. You, you work in his image. And so God did good work making the heavens and the earth, didn't he? He continues to work until now. And we want to express the glory of God by doing our work, working hard, whatever abilities God has given us, use them, maximize them, develop them. And a person who is lazy and a person who is unproductive and the, the sluggard who turns on his bed like a door on its hinges is a shameful character. And so diligence, in, in, I was giving an example, if you're looking for who to marry, is this person a hard worker who, and that's a character issue, it's a moral issue. Uh, there are unbelievers who also work hard. Another aspect is you're working honesty, honestly. If you goof off at work because the boss doesn't see, you're a thief. They're paying you. They're purchasing your labor. And so you want to give good return. You want your employer to say, I'm glad I've got this guy. I'll pay him more money to keep him here. Uh, Again, you see a man skilled in his work, he'll stand before kings. Everybody's going to want you. What What are your thoughts about people who stand on street corners asking, begging for money? Um... I have a real tough time with it. Our church building, which we bought in 1995, used to be the Salvation Army in our town. And they got a lot of money and built a really nice new building. We got their old 50-year-old building. We're thankful for it. Um, but we got a lot of people who thought we were still the Salvation Army who were coming asking for handouts. And the proverb, well, like Second Thessalonians 3 says, if someone will not work, neither shall he eat. And the sluggard does not plow and then is begging at harvest. And, the, and the, the sluggard's way is to be like a hedge of thorns. So the question is, the, the Bible makes a distinction between someone who is a worthy recipient of help and someone who has experienced the consequences of his own folly and you're just enabling him to be sinful. Now, that's why help should take place first in the family and then in the community of the church. That if my brother or my mother or my sons are in trouble... I know their character. I've observed them over a period of years. And I know whether they've been lazy and are continuing to be lazy or whether they've really been victims of some calamity that I should help them. In the church, I mean, hard economic times have created unemployment in our churches to some degree. But you see somebody, he's willing to work. I mean, one test is, Okay, you have no job, come mow my yard. <laughs> come clean my windows, if you will. I'll pay you. Uh, and if there's some people who don't want to do that. But if someone's been in your community, you observe their character for a long time, they're committed to the church community, now they're in trouble, you know that this is not a sluggard I'm enabling. This is someone with real need and with good character. Um, if I see someone on the corner... How do I know whether if I give him money, he's just going to get enough to go buy drugs or alcohol? Fairly high percentage. That I can't judge this one individual, 
but statistically a very large percentage are that way. Could he be someone who's unwilling to work? And even when people, we've had people come to the church and they say, well, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'll say, great, let's call your church. They know you. See if they want to help you. Well, that's back to, there's a lion in the street. Suddenly there's a thousand excuses why they can't do that. If you're a believer, you should have been a part of a church, a part of a community who knows you, and then they're part of your safety net as you are for them. Uh, but there are many people who want something for nothing. And so I would advise very strongly against handing money to anybody you don't know well. Now there's one lady who used to be in our church, and she would carry like little package snacks. And so she would hand them a little thing of crackers or, you know, if you're hungry, it says, I'm hungry. Well, good. Here's, you know, 20 Ritz crackers or whatever. Pre-packaged, not half-eaten by their kids or something. But, you know, just little, you know, little bags of chips or something or whatever. So bag of carrots, I guess, if you're really into that. But um, I think to help them in that way is good. But I think Help The people we're supposed to be most concerned about are our family, our community in terms of the church. And um, there are sluggards and drunkards out there, and it's really hard. To, you, I mean, you could sit there and talk to the person for an hour and do an investigation to try to figure out what's going on, but I'm not sure that's my calling. <laughs> I tried for a while in our church, and I found it to be a very high percentage of people um, proved to be disappointments, liars, and sluggards, the people who would come demanding or begging. There can be some exceptions. Um, Timeshares. This is a good question. What do you think about going to a timeshare presentation knowing you're not going to buy it, but you just want the gifts? (laughs) I'll tell you one thing. The people at the timeshares are just fine with you thinking that. Because they're so good at what they're doing, half the people who buy went in thinking the same thing. It's almost like you know, the, the, the wise man sees, the prudent sees evil and hides himself, the proverb says. These people have an answer for every objection. And I've gone to a couple of these. I confess I've done the very evil this card describes. <laughs> it's not worth it, Okay. These people, low pressure, high pressure, medium pressure, you name it, um, they're gambling, okay? They're saying, I can offer you something worth $100 if I can have an hour of your time, and I'm gonna, I think I'm going to win. And they're good, okay? And so again, again, it's like the wise man in Proverbs 5 doesn't go near the door of the adulteress. Why doesn't he? Because if he gets near her, he might be seduced. Timeshare salesman. If there's anybody here in that category, I may need to ask your forgiveness. Um, Can you lose your home if you walk away from your second mortgage? Yes, you can. That's what it means, is that a mortgage is a promise to pay with the house as the collateral, and if you pay one and not the other, whoever owns the other one can take the house. Debt is really... Hardball. It's tough business. Nice to not have any. What's the best way to help a young adult get some financial security, good credit, or any credit at all? I'm, I'm not an expert on exactly the way things are now. Uh, a few years ago, as I had young actually, I do have young adults. And I've been astounded how easy it is for them to get credit. 
uh, so long as they haven't done something horrible. So I would suggest that they have a bank account, see if they can get a very low minimum credit card. Sometimes you even have to have like, you give us $500 and we'll give you a credit card with a $600 limit or something, whatever it is. Uh, you could teach them how to manage it. And then, you know, I think one really important thing with credit card, back to budgeting, is if you spend money with a credit card, that money is taken out of your budget as soon as you made the transaction instead of, oh, look at that. At the end of the month, you know, you're getting dinged five, ten dollars a time, 30 days, and you're hundreds of dollars back. So, um, I don't think you have to co-sign on loans or credit applications for your young adult to get some level of credit for that to be built up gradually. If you choose to do so, that's your freedom, okay? You may have a young adult and you may choose to co-sign their student loan because they can get a better rate of interest or whatever reason you have. I can't tell you you're not allowed to do that. I can tell you one day you may end up paying that amount. Be ready for it. If you can afford it, that's your freedom. But don't blame me if that day comes because you've been warned. Um, Just like in marriage, I'll say, well, it's you know, Genesis 2.24, for this reason a man leaves his father and mother is joined to his wife, the two become one flesh. And I advise people not to move in with their parents when they get married. I can't say from the Bible, you must not do this, but I can say that I've got a long history of watching this happen, and it usually isn't pretty. Same thing with co-signing. Your freedom, but it's going to be hard to live out your independent adulthood like that. Um... As a single person, what percentage of my gross pay should I be investing in retirement? Uh, it's a complicated question that would require a lot of detail that we can't do publicly right now. But some would be, if you're making $4,000 a month and you're living on $2,000 a month, I would save a whole lot. If you're, you know, so there's a complexity to that. If you're making $2,100 a month, you probably can't save much at all. So save, you know, give to the Lord's work generously, save a lot, live frugally, general principles. Uh, It's interesting how even under the New Covenant, and the Old Covenant is is simple to figure out how to give, for example. And we'd like to just be told, here's exactly what you do. You do this percent and you're fine. 1% over too much, 1% under too little. It all belongs to God. We're to be stewards of it. And there's not some formula in the Bible saying just do it exactly this way. In general, it's wise to save for the future. I've kind of given general principles. The younger you start, the easier it's going to be. That'd be another question. Are you 25 or 55? If you're 55 and you don't have any savings yet, you better save like crazy. Ditch the smartphone. <laughs> you know, Just save, 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 because soon you're not going to be able to work anymore and Social Security ain't going to be very nice to live on. If you're 25, boy, if you start saving now, that's going to compound and you're going to be really happy in 40 years that you did that. So it's complicated with all the, and there's not a pat answer. 12%, boom, we're done. It doesn't work that way. When is it right to change jobs? That's another area of freedom. I can't tell people when they should change a job. We had a lady in our church who was has been completely miserable in a job, and yet she has obligations to meet her own needs. Well, my advice was, let's go look for another job. Don't quit this one until you have the next one, because you can't afford to be unemployed. 
And it's also much harder to get a job if you are unemployed. If you already have a job, you're more attractive to the next employer than if you can't hold a job or you don't seem to be able to hold a job. So you're free to choose a job that pays more money. In this case, she was willing to take less money to get out of an environment that she hated so long as you can meet your obligations. So uh, there's a freedom that... And aren't you glad to be free like this? Some people were just born and this is where you're going to work all your life. You're a slave or you'll work for the company store or the coal mine or whatever. And we have freedom, but then you want to use it wisely. How can I best meet my obligations to God? And again, we'd like answers. This is where my belief in the sufficiency of Scripture is that there's not a verse in the Bible that's going to say, okay, move to Colorado now and take that job. We're going to have to wrestle it through not knowing the outcome. We want a level of certainty God doesn't offer in Scripture. The secret things belong to the Lord. The things revealed belong to us. So you do the best you can to make a wise choice. And you may quit one job, take the next job, and a month after you're there, that company you just took the job with goes bankrupt. Should God have told you that was going to happen? He knew. No. We live in a world of uncertainty. Uh, you sometimes may make a decision like that, and it seemed like a wise thing to do, and it turned out tough. But ultimately, we trust God will work all things together for good for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. But you know, there's a wisdom issue in you. Does this give me more freedom to be with my family, more freedom to be in church, better provision to meet all these financial needs I got worried about on Saturday? You have all these issues, and then it's not a, sometimes it's obvious, much of the time... If you're married, you talk to your spouse, you pray, you seek advice. Nobody can tell you what you must do. You make a decision and you trust God. And then sometimes you look back when you're wiser 20 years later and you realize, well, that was a really bad decision, but God was so merciful to me. Are long-term CDs a good investment? Um, That's a depends question. Hmm. The problem with a long-term CD right now is that it probably pays not much more than 2 or 3%, which historically is not much money. If you've got 3% inflation, really your money's just sitting there doing nothing. But that's still better than 1% where it's losing ground. A nice thing about CDs, unlike bonds, is that if you have a five-year CD and you want to get out of it, typically you just pay a little bit of penalty to get out of it, and then you could... Re- so if interest rates go up to 10%, without much cost, you could get out of it and jump into something better, unlike a bond or a stock that if it goes down, you're stuck. So for some people, it could be a good investment. One would be, if it's a 5-year or 10-year CD, is this money you know you're not going to need for 5 or 10 years? And another would be, would that rate of return help you? Sometimes... You may think, well, maybe some of that money should be a little bit more risk in the stock market where there's more potential for return. Uh, another matter of freedom. But one nice thing about CDs, like I say, you can get out of it cheaply compared to other investments. The risk with an interest-based investment is you go, oh, no, I'm getting 2%. Now they're paying 8%. And for like on a $5,000 CD, for 20 or $30 or some amount like that, you can get out and get the new one and then spend years getting the higher rate. So that's a nice thing about CDs. And you're not violating the contract, because that was in the contract when you got it, that you were allowed to do that. Insurance advice. What would be the wisest for a married 45-year-old man with modest income? 
for life insurance, um, you want to make some calculation of what you think your family would need to be okay for several years after you were gone. Like I said, in my mind, and this was a long time ago when I calculated a half a million dollars, and if I were a 40-year-old man with a family, I would probably want more than a half million dollars under the current environment where um, you know, I want to replace my income so my family would be okay for a considerable period of time so my wife wouldn't have to neglect raising our kids and my wife gave up career to raise kids so she doesn't have a lot of earnings potential. So you, you want to calculate what you can afford that you would would be needful to meet the need in the sad event of your sudden passing. And so the best way to buy it, in my opinion, like I said, is a level premium term policy you can get if you're in good health, where if you're 40, 45 years old, for $500 a year, you can get a policy that would pay that half a million dollars. The reason is the insurance company hopes you're going to live. And then it's unusual for you to die. At, at that uh, in that period of your life. And that's the cheapest way to get it. The level premium part means some, some will be 500 this year, 600, 700, 800. You can get a level premium thing where it's guaranteed at the same level for 10, 15, 20 years. So it's not going to go up from year to year, your premium. It's the lowest possible premium because all you're paying for is insurance. If you pay into it for 15 years and you don't die, you lost the bet. All that money's gone. That's okay, I'm alive. And I'm alive, I'm, I've been earning money all that time to provide for my family. Uh, the way they try to sell it to you, well, if you pay more, then it'll kind of accumulate value. And that's where it can cost thousands of dollars a year to get the same amount of insurance. The salesman will say, but if you do it this way, your money will accumulate. And so if you keep paying in, it's going to be worth something in the end. Um, my opinion is, generally speaking, be better to invest with an investment firm and buy insurance that just does insurance. And salesmen can sometimes show you math that, again, what does he want to do? How does he make his money? The more premium you pay, the more money he makes. So someone who is more objective might show you another way of looking at it that would not be so beneficial. So my opinion would be buy the amount of interest the insurance you can afford, just buying the insurance that would meet the needs of your family. Okay, I have a 401k that my employer does not contribute to. Should I stay in it? Probably. I mean, it, it's about the same as an IRA. So you may decide, well, I'll just do the IRA instead of it being through my employer. It depends on what options they have. Maybe it has amazingly good options and it's fine to use, uh, but you would have the same tax effect if you just created your own IRA and you'd have more control if you change jobs or something. Uh, you might want a Roth IRA where you don't get the tax deduction now, and those are things that some, somebody would have to work through your particular case, which would be likely to be the most advantageous. So an IRA would work just the same. Now, maybe you're maxing your IRA. You can do this also, and it gives you another avenue where you can do it. So it's probably okay to do it, but you might have more flexibility if you put the same amount of money into an IRA. One nice thing about the employer plan is if it just comes right out of your paycheck each month and you don't spend it. And that might be one reason to do it if the employer's plan is decent. And it's yours, so when you leave, it goes with you. 18-year-old, um, unpaid internship. Um, 
do get paid for random jobs. Depends on the situation. Uh, some parents have an 18-year-old and they're very happy for him or her to be serving in a ministry and essentially, but make it clear, those parents are essentially financially supporting this child doing the internship. So I might, as a parent, say it's worth what it costs me to pay for her insurance, her food, her housing. She's getting this great experience. I'm not that worried about her making money because we're okay. And I think this is going to prepare her for adult life better than making a bunch of money. She's only 18. That's the same reason we put our kids in college, right? It's a learning experience, and it's costing us money, but we hope it's going to prepare them for what they need to do in adult life. So that could be fine. Uh, Hopefully, you're transitioning into almost like shifting gears, where gear one is you pay your own cell phone, you pay your own transportation, and you're kind of shifting gears as the years go on. And But as a parent, again, I would rather... We had kind of a deal with our kids that I don't want you working 40 hours a week while you're supposed to be in college laying your foundation. I know a guy who got a job, and he loved his job. He was in pre-med, and he was making lots of money as a server in a restaurant. That was great, but he didn't make good enough grades to go to med school. He might have been better off. His parents could have afforded him for him not to work so many hours as a server, making better grades, going to med school, which would about quadrupled his lifetime earnings over what they are, so, again, this is calculus, isn't it? I mean, it's complicated. Lots of factors, lots of freedoms. So that's just, so it's great you're doing it. If your parents say, we can't afford to keep paying for your car and your cell phone and your education expenses, then you better get a job to pay for those things because your parents can't afford it. But if they're thrilled that that's what you're doing, you're probably okay. My point with a young adult living under my roof is you need to be busy working hard at something we both agree on. That could be school, that could be volunteering, that could be a job. It should just add up to about 50, 60 hours a week of productive labor. And we can work it out between us what that involves. Am I raising more questions? I see. I'll tell you where I got that, okay? That if a parent who has a full-time job, how many hours a week do you really work, okay? You leave the house, you commute half an hour each way, you work some overtime, you're there over lunch, and then do you come home and just goof off till the next day? You're cleaning the house, you're doing the laundry, you're preparing meals, you're shopping. Uh, 60 hours isn't, that, that's, an, that's a typical adult work week. And the sooner our children learn that, the better. When co-signing, must you stay on until the note is paid? That's what you did. You co-signed. <laughs> and that means until the note is paid or you are released, you are responsible for that debt, unless you can talk the bank into releasing you. And I don't know why they would. They might, but probably not. So the lesson being, realize that when you're going in. Can't say you're sinning if you do it, but I'm, I could say you're taking a risk. Um what if you have a friend who's going to walk away from one house and its mortgage to go buy a new house? And that's what I talked about earlier. It's kind of a, abandoning a debt, abandoning a debt not because you can't afford to pay it, but just because you don't want to. And I view that as immoral. The wicked borrows and doesn't pay back. Um, you made a, you bought a house for four hundred thousand dollars. 
and now it's worth $300,000, and you owe three eighty dollars on it. You're sorry you bought it, and you'd like the bank to eat the loss. You can make the payment. Well, what if it had gone up to $800,000? Would you have given the bank half the profit? You know, they took a risk on you that you would keep your word and pay what you promised. And you took the risk by owning the asset that it, it might go up, it might go down. It wasn't a one-sided deal that if it goes up, you win. If it goes down, they lose. Uh, so you expose yourself to that risk. And if you can afford to pay, you should continue to pay. If the bank will... Anyway, if you can't pay then you probably made some bad decisions and you need to face that and confess that and deal with it. But a walk away of convenience just because you don't want to pay, sound, you know, it can be a form of stealing. Okay, if I owe a certain amount of my home, I want to retire in three years and I plan to move, should I refinance? That's another complicated question, isn't it? Um, should I refinance my house if I'm planning to move in a few years? What is your current interest rate? If you're paying 12% on your house, probably pay off to refinance. If you're paying 4%, might not pay off to refinance. If you refinance, are you planning to take cash out? Why would you do that? You can take a vacation, buy a boat. What are you going to do? So generally speaking, if you're not going to keep it very long, probably doesn't pay to refinance because there are fees built in, points and fees that you can, it's math here. This is simple math in the sense that you make your assumptions and if you're not good at this, find somebody who's good at math who can with a spreadsheet show you under these assumptions, if you do refinance, this is the amount of money you will pay and what your house will be worth in three years. If you don't refinance, this is the amount of money you'll pay and this is what your house will be worth in three to five years. A lot of times when people refinancing, well, they said, hey, this is really cool. I used to be paying $1,800 a month. Now I'm paying $1,600 a month. But their loan balance just went up $50,000 or something, or $10,000 or $20,000. So when you sell the house, you've got less money and less equity in the end. So, And again, the person who is the mortgage broker makes a living by you doing the mortgage. He's like the investment salesman. I'm not saying he's a crook, but his incentive is to get you to do it. And he's going to tell you all the positives, and he's going to minimize the negatives. You need someone who doesn't have a horse in the race, someone who has a vested interest to help you evaluate objectively whether it's a good idea. The guy selling it to you is always going to think it's a great idea. Somebody who's good at this can help you do the math. Um, somebody asked if I could change the government financially, what would I change? Almost everything. Um, stop debt. Stop doing about 80% of what they're doing. That's really the responsibility of the family. But that might get me in trouble if I said more than that. Uh, I like this question. Is it proper to treat all your children the same? And that's actually addressed in our book about uh, parenting adult kids. You never stop being a parent. My answer would be no. Um, there's an unbiblical favoritism where this one has blue eyes. I love blue eyes, so I'm going to shower love on her. And this guy's got brown eyes and isn't as cute as she is, so I'm going to ignore him. That's evil. But, okay, you have an adult child who's an investment banker in New York. He's pulling in a quarter million dollars a year. 
and he is a drug addict and an unbeliever, snorts cocaine, whatever else. And you've got another child who's a missionary in West Africa, barely getting by. When you die, do you really think it's appropriate to give them each an equal share? Or maybe you've got a, like the guy I was telling you earlier, where he's 40 and he does meth and is a sluggard. Is he going to be benefited by an inheritance? Or even in right now, you may choose to help one and not the other um, because you really think there's an appropriate need. Now, where there's a risk is if you have a sluggard who keeps getting into debt and you keep bailing them out, in that case, I would say you might put a note in the will that that's come out of his inheritance. I'd also tell you to stop doing that. It's just going to keep happening until you die. So no, you're not obligated in all cases to treat all children the same. I think, again, my friend, the guy I'd been counseling, worst thing ever happened to him in his life was earning, it was getting a $50,000 inheritance when he was an out-of-control druggie. He was better off when he had no money. I'm trying, okay. Is it a good idea to get a low-interest loan to consolidate debt? Again, have somebody who is objective evaluate the offers you receive. That can be a good idea. A lot of times the debt consolidation loans increased your mortgage. Uh, There were fees built in and all of that. Anybody dealing with you in the financial industry is trying to make money off of you. They're not running these things. Maybe there's a few little charities out there that are really charities. But if someone's offering to consolidate your debt, somehow somebody's making more money off of you from doing that. Now, it could be worth what you're paying them, but how are they being paid? And then what is your position going to be like in terms of the size of your debt, the length of your debt, the amount of your payment? It has to be objectively evaluated. It could be a good thing. Like I give the example that you have massive credit card debt, and I've seen cases. I I mean, I had a couple years ago where the wife calls and she's weeping because the husband's run up the credit cards and she didn't know it and she gets the bill and it's overwhelming. And uh, I counseled them and she called the credit card company and they negotiated, okay, we're going to freeze it, tear up the credit card, here's a payment plan. It was very reasonable, gracious, helpful. Um, So you can be helped, but be careful. I've gone through the whole list that I can find. Does anybody else have another question? Or would you like to go home 15 minutes early? That's fine. I'll hang around if you want to ask questions uh, privately. Let me close in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you for these dear brothers and sisters who have taken so much time out of their day because they want to know your wisdom and we want to live wisely in all areas of life, including our finances. Help us to be men and women who are willing to work hard. Help us to take the skills and abilities you've given us and to maximize those so that we can maximize the blessings we are to others in economic transactions in terms of what we produce and how we work. Help us to be a witness, even as Joseph was before Potiphar and the jailer and Pharaoh. Help us to be like that and to stand out because you are with us in our work. Help us to spend wisely, not to be addicted to things. Help us to 
be content with what you give us. Help us to be generous in helping those in need and supporting your work. Help us to be careful in our spending. Help those of us here who are overwhelmed with debt Uh, to wisely extricate themselves from that debt. Help us to be free of debt so we can better take care of our families and give to your work. Help us in uncertain times to be wise with our saving, generous in helping others, and Lord, most of all, help us to trust you. Uh, We cannot trust in wealth. We cannot trust in our education. We cannot trust and our jobs, our government, our only ultimate hope is you. You have cared for us very well. Help us to put our hope in you. and Help us to value that which is eternal, not that which is going to be burned up. We thank you so much for a Savior who gave up everything that we might have life and spiritual riches. We pray these things in his name. Amen.